And he um, serves in a church, um, faith community church in Providence. Um, and he has this beautiful wife, Brianna, and this, this beautiful baby, Malachi. And I've had the privilege of um, knowing this family for years, calling them my friends. And I'm so, so excited um, that he gets to be here with you all today. So will you join me in welcoming Dexley? Good morning. morning. It's good to be with you, Hope Church. Uh, Those of you who are here, those of you who are at the South County uh, campus or just watching online, uh, it's a privilege to be able to join you in worship. Uh, So as uh, as Maggie said, uh, my name is Dexley. I have the privilege of pastoring Faith Community Church in Providence. Uh, Our community extends a hello to you. Uh, and I want to be very quick to just thank Pastor Rick just for the invitation, the trust uh, to come uh, to you and to open up God's word and uh, to just join you this morning. And so I just want to invite you to open up your Bibles, uh, if you have those, uh, to 1 Kings uh, chapter 16. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 16. And as I was preparing this message, uh, I couldn't help but remember a, a very particular line, et tu, Brute. If you haven't heard this famous line, maybe in school yet, uh, you might. It comes from a very well-known drama by Shakespeare named Julius Caesar. If you're familiar with the story, you'll realize that Unlike its title, it doesn't even focus on Caesar as much as it does his friend, Brutus. His friend, Brutus, will watch as Caesar rises to power, uh, gains notoriety, and then eventually, at the end of this play, will watch as 60 of the Senate and Brutus, Caesar's best friend, will plan and kill him. The story goes that Caesar would initially struggle and fight, as one naturally might, but there comes a moment where he he looks and he sees Brutus, his friend, his trustworthy friend, and he says, et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus? Those words slipped out of Caesar's mouth, but you can imagine all the things going on in his mind as he watches his assassins, one of them being his best friend, the person he had put ultimate trust in, betray him. That his friend Brutus wouldn't lead him to success, to victory, to prosperity, but right to death's door. Sometimes I think a question worth asking ourselves When the drama has come into our life and we are encountering very hard things, I think sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's worth asking, where have I put my trust? Who is my God? Whose voice am I listening to? Where does my security lie? As we continue in the series that you're in, the Drama King series, Uh, Today we're going to focus on King Ahab. 
What I want you to see is that the narrative, the story of King Ahab's life is one of trust. Where, where you put your trust will have a lot to say about your outcome in life, as we will see in King Ahab's story. Now, there's one thing for us to walk away with today. One thing, if you remember nothing else, it's this. Avoiding drama and embracing everlasting life means trusting God for your needs, guidance, and security. Again, that avoiding drama and embracing everlasting life means trusting God for your needs, guidance, and security. So we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 16, uh, verses 29 to 33. This is the word of the Lord. In the 38th year of King of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of the bat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an ashraf. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word, praying that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Jesus, that, that I would decrease, that you would increase and be seen um, as, as we walk through your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the joyful assignment I've been given again this morning is to continue in your Drama King series by focusing on King Ahab. Now, spoiler alert, King Ahab is not a good guy. He's not a good guy. We're going to see this as we've already heard it read. But just to kind of give you some context as you've been hearing through this series, we're in the book of Kings. And the book of Kings begins with the death of a well-known king, David. His son takes his place, King Solomon, but as we learn in his life, though he did many good things, we see that he fell away from the Lord, took on, we we read, hundreds of wives, something God specifically said not to do because of what it would mean, bringing in false gods into the kingdom of Israel. And so we see his falling away from the Lord brings judgment, and the kingdom ends up being torn. I believe it was last week where you heard of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And the tearing of the kingdom of Israel. So you have north, Israel, the capital of Samaria, and south, its capital, Judah. And so as we come to Ahab, we've begun to learn a little bit about what the book of Kings is about. Following the story and the narratives of the kings who come in the north and the south. We also learn about the prophets, who we'll hear a little bit about today who prominently show themselves calling the kings and calling Israel to come back and to love God with their whole life. Unfortunately, what we'll see is many of the kings, all of the kings in the north, do not do this. They continue to walk away from the Lord. And as we've read, King Ahab 
was the worst we've seen since the beginning. Again, at the heart of this narrative, though, is a question of trust. What we see is that Ahab puts his trust in false gods. He puts his trust in people who ultimately do not have his best interest in mind because they don't have God's interest in mind. And finally, he puts his trust ultimately in himself. He's putting himself above God. But let's first consider King King Ahab's trust in a false god for his needs. The question is, will the real God please speak up? If you remember in our reading of 1 Kings chapter 16, Ahab had brought Baal into the kingdom of Israel. And so in marrying Jezebel, a Phoenician princess, Ahab would forge ties of Sidon, a center of Baal worship. And if you don't know, Baal was a Kenemite god. He's the god of storms, the god of fertility. He's the god of rain. And so you go to Baal when you want it to rain in your crops, when you want lots of kids. The idea is that he, Baal, will bring us to life, both in our families and in our fields. Ahab introduces Baal to Israel, but he goes a step further than the kings behind him who did bring idols. He goes a step further because he promotes the worship of Baal as a royal decree. He's not just saying, hey, maybe if you want to worship him, you can. He's saying, no, 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 you need to worship Baal. So he's replaced God legally in Israel. He's put his trust in Baal for his and the people he's called to lead their needs. Baal will provide, he is saying, not God, not Yahweh, the name of God. So, the question becomes, as you read the text, how does God respond to King Ahab? 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite, of Tishbite and Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel... Lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so God's response, when the real God speaks, we see that nature listens. Ahab, you want to trust in Baal for your life, for your most basic needs? Well, God is going to challenge his God directly by his word. Elijah, his dramatic debut in the book of Kings is an assertion, it's a proclamation, it's a declaration that God, not the Canaanites' God, Baal, he controls the rain. He controls life. And so for the next several years, Israel would suffer a severe drought. And with each day, each month, each year, Baal's credibility just diminishes. It it dies. And if we were to read chapter 17 in its entirety, and I would encourage you later on to do that, what you would read is God's miraculous provision for Elijah. That in the middle of the drought, Elijah has food and water. You would read of God's provision for a widow whose flower never runs out because of God's provision. You would hear that in the middle of the drought, when there is no life of her son who dies, but is brought back to life by the power of God. So God is saying again and again that it is not your gods 
who bring your most basic needs. It is me. Put your trust in me. I provide what you need. The FBI brought to our attention recently that elder fraud scams have seen a, a great increase. If you didn't know, according to their 2021 report, there are over 92,000 victims who lost $1.7 billion to fraud scams. And so that's a 74% increase from 2020. And you might be able to imagine why. With, with America's grandparents more increasingly online, particularly with, with COVID, and not being maybe as savvy with the ways of the internet, they are more susceptible to some of these scams. The most popular being things like tech support, non-payment, even romance. In each of these cases, people are promised things. They are said, hey, if you believe in me, if you just give a little bit of your money to me, I will deliver what you need. In each of these times, they find out that these promises are false. They're scams. What they're being promised cannot actually be given to them. So you can imagine as you read this story in 1 Kings, the contrast between a a well-fed Elijah and a King Ahab who is hungry with the people of Israel, who's actually fallen for the scam, who's fallen for the lie of who actually provides our most basic needs. King Ahab has led his people to believe in false promises. And this is important for any of us who lead, that we need to realize where we put our trust will affect those under our leadership. Teachers, parents, managers, we need to remember that where God has called us to lead, who we put our trust in will affect those under us. I think a question that we should all be asking as we walk through this is, who is our provider? Drama can be a theme in our life when we look for provision in the wrong places. We can be so tempted when we are lacking, when we feel like we don't have what we need. We, we can forget that it is God who gives those things. When money gets a little funny, when relationships are feeling strained, when that promotion keeps going to that person who doesn't deserve it, we can begin to think, oh, it's, my trust is in the wrong place. God is not giving me what I need. In these moments, which are hard, we need to remember that it is not in replacing God that we get what we need. It is in trusting Him that we can see our lives filled. We need to grab onto Him. We, we don't want to be fooled like getting a payday loan that in the short term gives us what we think we need, but in the long term has severe consequences. We don't want to fall for the lie that God can be replaced. We need to trust in Him alone for our provision, recognizing it is God who has put food on your table. Yes, you worked, but He is providing. He's the one who put the very life and breath in your lungs. He woke you up this morning so you could be here. By God's word, His Son Jesus gives you everything you need in Himself so that if everything was taken away from you and all you had is Jesus, that is all you actually need. 
King Ahab puts his trust in Baal when it should have been in God. As it follows, as he puts his trust in Baal, he then puts his trust in Baal's people instead of God's people. And so the second question is, whose voice will you listen to? That voice will determine the direction in your life. Again, as we had read 1 Kings 16, we saw that Ahab took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Immediately we should understand this is bad news. This is not a good thing. If you heard in her grandfather's name, Ethbaal, the name Baal is right there. In the ancient Near East, this would be a common practice to put the name of the God you worshipped in your name. And so immediately as we read it, we go, oh, oh this, is, this is not leading in the direction that a king of Israel who worships God should be going in. As we read, she will bring her God with her. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we actually see this epic battle between the two gods. Between Yahweh, God of Israel, and Baal, God of the Canaanites. Elijah will represent God, and the Canaanites will have 400 prophets representing Baal. God will speak and show his power. Baal is a no-show. Elijah will make fun of him. You will say, maybe he's in the bathroom, maybe he's a little busy, give him some time. It's total victory for Elijah. It's total victory for God. And then after that moment, we read that God brings the rain. And in that moment, King Ahab should repent and worship. After seeing his God fail, after seeing God who caused the drought bring back the rain, he should worship. But he goes to those he's closest. So he goes to his wife, Jezebel. And what's her response? Well, we see her response in 1 Kings 19, verse 2. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah in response and said, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this tomorrow. So she's saying, in the same way that the prophets died, if I am not sure you are dead by tomorrow, may the same happen to me. And so instead of pointing King Ahab to repent and to trust in God for his provision, Jezebel will direct the king away from the grace of God. And there's more, unfortunately. In chapter 21, we see that King Ahab has his eye on a really nice vineyard. He goes to the owner, Naboth, and he says, Give me your vineyard, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 2, that I may have it. For a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. In verse 21, in chapter 21, verse 3, Naboth will refuse to do this. And church, he's supposed to say no. Maybe you're unfamiliar uh, with, with some of the Old Testament, but in the book of Joshua, the, Israel is brought into the promised land. And God gives them the promised land, but he reminds them again and again, this is mine to give to you. I have given it to you. And so the land was not theirs. It was not theirs to give away. It was not theirs to sell because God had given it to them. And so by law, Naboth has to say no to the king because God decides 
who it goes to. You would think King Ahab would understand that, but instead he walks away depressed and disappointed. And so where does he go? To those he's closest to. He goes to his wife. Now, Hope Church, you probably don't need to mention me to mention that when you are hurt and confused, you go to the people who are not furthest away from you, but closest to you relationally. The people you trust most to give you guidance and wisdom and direction in your life. The people who are for us. And recognize we should go to those who are for us, but if those people are not for God, they are not truly most for you. That if we want to get wisdom from those who are most for us, They must be first for God before they can be for you. And so what Ahab needed was to go to someone who was for God, but instead he goes to Jezebel, who after hearing Ahab schemes, kills Naboth, and wrongly takes the vineyard from him. In 1998, the Mars Climate Orbiter was built at a cost of $125 million. It's a lot of money, if you don't know. (laughs) So it's this 300-kilogram robot space probe that's going to go to Mars and do some research and work there, study the climates, all all of that amazing stuff. Well, in September 1999, almost 10 months after it's been launched, Mars is in sight. Mission almost accomplished. When... The orbiter burns up and breaks into pieces. And so on a day when NASA should be rejoicing, a different feeling comes up. So the question naturally arises, what happened? And come to find out, when NASA and Lockheed Martin, who collaborated in this effort, worked, that Lockheed Martin used English measurements. So inches, feet, pounds. But when NASA was doing the final calculations, they used the metric system. Centimeters, meters, newtons. So this $125 million probe burns up because engineers forgot to convert units. $125 million mistake because someone forgot to do their job. Right? The wrong direction was given, and so the probe burns up. Friends, the units that people give you, the direction people give you in life, will have drastic outcomes for you. Who are we trusting in? Are we allowing the people of God, Christians, believers, to point us to Jesus? Or are others pointing us to everything but Jesus? I'm not saying that we are not meant to have relationships with those who don't believe. You should. You should be very involved in loving our neighbors. What I am saying is that the people will point you to what they are most formed by. People will point you to what they are most formed by. And if it isn't Jesus, then it is something lesser, which means it is not as good as it should be for you. As Christians, we need the influence of those who are walking with God to go to Our pastors, seasoned Christians, King Ahab reminds all of us that we will be influenced. Hopefully, what we learn in his example is to put those who are for God to influence us. And so King Ahab has shown trust for a God who can't give him what he needs, trust of people who are not for God, 
And what I want us to see is that ultimately he's put trust in himself. Many of us are familiar with the, uh, the story of Jezebel, and so we hear her name and we immediately kind of respond to that. When you read 1 Kings chapter 16 uh, to 22, it's easy to see her assertiveness in the story and King Ahab's passivity. It's easy to think that the primary culprit is maybe Jezebel. But what's actually happened and ultimately leads to the death of King Ahab, you need to understand, is King Ahab's fault. Because he puts himself in the place only God belongs. Church note in 1 Kings 16.31, it is Ahab who takes for his wife Jezebel. Why? Because his marriage to Jezebel was part of a plan to improve Israel's foreign policies. You see, in that day and age, that's how you built relationships. You married princes and princes from other nations. But God had already said, no, no, I will take care of your success. I will take care of your prosperity. Don't marry foreign wives. Trust in me. But there was a moment in King Ahab's thinking where he goes, well, I might just be slightly, not by much, but a hair bit smarter than God. Let me put some plans together myself and see what I can do. And so he takes Jezebel as his wife, knowing the package that comes with Baal worship. It's interesting when Ahab is confronted by Elijah during the drought, Elijah comes to him and Ahab goes to him and says, it is you, troubler of Israel. Again, if you don't understand that reference, he's actually pointing to Joshua chapter 7. A guy named Achan sins against God. And Joshua comes to him and says, why are you being a troublemaker, Achan? And so it's interesting that Ahab is looking at Elijah and saying, you are causing God's judgment. You are the troubler when it is Ahab who is bringing on the trouble of God. He would only think this if he's put himself in God's position. It is Ahab who is, at the end of the day, responsible because he's put his trust in himself. In chapters 20 and 21 of 1 Kings, there are three prophecies given that will predict Ahab's death because he has put himself above God. In the final prophecy given by the prophet Micaiah, Ahab is told that he will fall and die in the upcoming battle. And so what does King Ahab do? 1 Kings 22, 29 to 30. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you wear robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So he's told by God's prophet, you're going to die. And so his answer, we'll see. Let's see. Let me concoct a plan. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into battle, but not as a king, as a soldier. This way, God's prophecy won't come true because they won't know it's me. 1 Kings 22:34 But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver, "Turn around and carry me out of battle for I am wounded." In verse 35 we learn that he dies. I know the the text says random, but understand the mark of the arrow is not random. Ahab would learn in an anticlimactic death that you can't out-God God. 
Narcissus, a character in Greek mythology, after seeing his reflection in a pond, would fall in love with himself. Love would turn to despair when he would realize that if he left the pond, he couldn't look at himself anymore. And then despair would turn to death because of Narcissus' lack of ability to see himself rightly. His reflection was beautiful, but it wasn't ultimate. It wasn't what he should have put his life on. It wasn't where his first love should have been. Like Narcissus, Ahab loves him some Ahab. Looking to himself before looking to anybody else, including God. And this ends ultimately in his death. Ahab's elevation of himself Realize, it does bring temporary success. But it doesn't end with eternal joy and closeness to God. So again, the question is, who do you ultimately trust in? Yourself or God? Whether you see your reflection and it puffs you up because you think you're all that, or you see your reflection and you're devastated because you think you have nothing to give, either way, you've missed the point. It's about God. So we're trusting in Him, not in yourself, for better or for worse. If our security is in God, then we have everything we need. We can trust in His Word, His provision, His direction. You don't make a very good God, church. You don't. Let God be the God of your life. That outcome brings wholeness, goodness, in your parenting, in your education, at work. Letting God be God means giving Him ultimate say. It allows your life to flourish. Ahab's life demonstrates that a lack of trust in God invites drama that can quickly turn sideways. But in the story of Ahab, there is some good news I want to give to you. That God shows unearned kindness and that there's hope for the worst of us. As we look at 1 Kings 16 through 22, we see that God again and again is showing mercy and calling Ahab back to him. Recognize that when the drought comes, when God stops the rain, he's trying to show Ahab, hey, your God can do nothing. So trust in me instead. Look to me. I'm trying to show you that it's me you can trust in. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God stopping the rain is meant to lead King Ahab to repent and trust in him. As you read the story on two separate occasions in upcoming battles, God gives Ahab the victory, not because he's done anything to earn it. God is showing Ahab mercy again and again because he wants him to return. And I don't know who needs to hear that today, but God is calling you to come back as well. It's in God's mercy and kindness that you're here this morning, sitting under the teaching of God's word, hearing these songs being sung. God is calling you. He wants to remind you that he loves you and he desires fellowship with you. So come and enjoy him. Because God's mercy is shown and given to the worst of us. None of us are too far from him. After hearing one of the prophecies about his doom and death, Ahab responds in a particular way. 1 Kings 21, 27. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, 
and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about detection lay. And we read in verse 28 that God says, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself? Because he's humbled himself, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. What this shows us is that God shows mercy to the worst of us. That even the worst of us can be forgiven in our repentance. That all we need to do is go to him sincerely, with humility, trusting in his mercy. Now, if we're listening carefully, what you did hear at the end of that passage is this. I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Church, the the consequences of Ahab's sin don't go away. God is just holding it back, kind of like those college loans, right, when you keep pushing them back. Eventually, you have to pay them. And eventually, the consequences of Ahab's sin have to surface. Judgment has to come. You see, Ahab's sin is missing the mark, the, the call of God. It begun a debt, a debt that eventually has to pay, but unfortunately keeps on growing and mounting up. And so what God just does is simply push back the due date, but eventually Ahab's sons will pay the price. Now, unfortunately, none of us can pay that debt. The only payment acceptable for our debt is sinless perfection. You've got to be perfect in every single way. In committing even one sin, you disqualify yourself from being able to offer that to God. But church, because God is merciful, he provides a payment for us, a way for all of us to clear the debt. And that's his son, Jesus. Jesus, who God sends into the world, who lives perfectly, who dies to pay the debt of our sin. And he rises from the grave to prove that the wrath of God is satisfied. We don't have to worry about that any longer. And so ultimately, as we read the story of King Ahab, what I hope you see and understand is that the trust that God is calling you to have is trust in Jesus' Son. That it is Jesus who cares for your most basic needs. It is Jesus who will direct the footsteps in your life. It is Jesus who is your King. And so, to avoid drama, to embrace everlasting life, it means trusting in God's Son, in Jesus, for all of those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We worship You. Help us, Lord, to learn from the example of King Ahab. We're so thankful that You do not sugarcoat, You do not hide these bad examples from us, but that in them we can see that we can hope and trust in Jesus to care for our most basic needs, to direct our life, and to be our King, to direct us in every way. In your name we pray.